from the book of Genesis. I am your brother Joseph, whom you sold into Egypt. And now do not be distressed or angry with yourselves because you sold me here. For God sent me before you to preserve life. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, please be seated. Good morning, friends. We are continuing our series this week on the dysfunctional heroes of the Bible. Uh, Biblical accounts, technically it's called historical narrative, but they're stories, if you will, true stories, not fiction stories, but biblical accounts of different families in Exodus, Genesis, and also in in, uh, Joshua. And what you'll see here are a couple things. One of them is that the heroes of Scripture are are, are very different from the heroes of other biblical texts. If you look at other biblical texts, like Nordic texts or Viking texts or whatever, you have the champions and the heroes, and then you have the villains, right? Uh, you got the really good guys, and you got the bad guys, and there's a clear break. But the Bible's not that clean, <laughs> if you will. In Scripture, we see that the heroes are oftentimes not all that good, and sometimes the bad guys aren't all that bad. In other words, the scriptural accounts are all about real people, good and bad, warts and all, just like me and just like you. Broken sinners who struggle with the challenges of this world. And the cool thing is, despite all the stories we're going to see and the challenges they face, despite all that, we see a God who has a plan. Case in point, today on deck is the story of Jacob, the second, second uh, I preached about it last week, and I'm going to conclude it this week, the story of Jacob and his dysfunctional family of brothers and sons, sorry, sons and brothers. What can we learn from these guys, from Jacob and Joseph and his brothers in the story? Well, two things I want to dive in on today, two points in the story, the conclusion of the story of Joseph and Jacob and Joseph's brothers. I want to look at, firstly, the plan of God. The plan of God is my first point in the text. And the second point is the joy of forgiveness. What does that mean? Well, the the plan of God, and then secondly, the joy of forgiveness. So let me give you a little bit of background. In case you weren't here last week or you forgot, (laughs) I'll give you the gist of the story. If you want to go on the website, on podcast, you can read, read or listen to the sermon again. But here's the gist of it from last week. Jacob is the father. He's got sons. He's got several sons. And Joseph, his one son, is the youngest one he has. And Joseph is, by all accounts, he is the golden boy. He is, he is Joseph's favorite. And the problem is not so much that he has a favorite. The problem is that Jacob's son, Joseph, is his favorite, and everybody else knows it. <laughs> That's the problem, right? The other brothers know that Joseph is his favorite. Joseph gets a special jacket when the other boys don't get it. And it's, you know, you know how that goes, right? When you've got brothers, you get jealous of them. You get frustrated with them. And not only that, not only is Joseph the favorite, Joseph has these dreams. And I'll give you a couple of examples. Joseph, for example, has a series of dreams. One of them, he says to his brothers, hey, guys, come on over. Let me tell you about a dream I had last night. And they're like, oh, and he says, yeah, I had a dream that you guys all bowed down to me. I've got a brother. I don't think that would go well. I've got a younger brother. I wouldn't go well. Uh, and then, and you think, Joseph, really, even if you had, like, dude, think first, right? But no, no, it gets better. Then Joseph has another dream where his, the moon and the stars and his father 
bows down to Joseph as well. And the dad's like, Joe, really? And he's like, hey, Dad, that's what I saw. And as you can imagine the dynamic here, everybody is frustrated with Joseph. The brothers are like, we're tired of this guy. He's arrogant. He talks too much. He's daddy's little boy and favorite. And he rats on us when we do things wrong. I got a plan. Yeah, let's get in the huddle. And they say, let's get rid of him. So they do. The brothers have had enough. They, they, they get a plan, right? They get a plan to throw him into a pit and leave him for dead, which they do. And then at the last minute, one of them gets a, a guilty conscience. One of the brothers named Reuben gets a guilty conscience. He convinces them to pull Joseph out of the pit, partly for sympathy, but partly because he thinks, well, you know what? We can either kill him or we can make some money on this. So let's, let's not kill him. Let's, let's sell him. So they sell Joseph into slavery, and Joseph is carted away by the Ishmaelites, another important detail that you can read about from last week or listen to. They take Joseph away, they sell Joseph to slave traders, and they take Joseph to Egypt. And they hope to never see the guy again. Hey, Joseph, it's been nice knowing you. See you later. Problem solved, right? Hasta la vista, baby, kind of thing. So they send Joseph away into slavery. And he's been there for 27 years. And that's where the story picks up from today. So that's the backstory. Here we go. Our text picks up this morning. Joseph goes in, is sold by his brothers into slavery in Egypt when he's 17 years old. Now, 27 years later, and a lot's happened. I know in my own life, I'm a, I was a much different man at 44 than I was at 17. Thank you. <laughs> right? Um, sometimes it doesn't change much. Um, but, but Joseph's been busy. I can't give you a whole lot of detail. We'd be here forever. But, even, but the one thing to remember is that even though Joseph is sold as a slave to the Egyptians, even though he's in pagan Egyptian territory, one thing is repeatedly clear. This is important, that God is with him. It's not obvious at first. It's not obvious at first. You know, when you get carted away and when, something goes, when things go south for you in your own life, in your own job or family or whatever, fill in the blank. You can't always see God's plan. You can't see God's working in, on, and through you in those moments of suffering. But Joseph's been at this for a while, for 27 years, and now he's risen to a place in the Egyptian government of prominence. He is, he is Pharaoh. The king of Egypt Egypt's called Pharaoh, as you know, and Joseph has now become Pharaoh's right-hand man, his most trusted advisor. Joseph is the man he lives in Pharaoh's house. He has an Egyptian name, which I will try to pronounce. If there's any Egyptians here, correct me later. It's something like Zithnath Piniah. Yeah, say that five times fast. Anyway, the point is, Joseph has, lives in Egypt. He's got an Egyptian name. He's got an Egyptian wife. He even, he even walks like an Egyptian. <laughs> Dad joke, yeah. But this is, the, this is the cool thing I want you to stop and think about, right? Over those 27 years, God's been working on him. And it hasn't always been clean, and it hasn't always been easy. If you read the story, you'll see. He does, and Joseph doesn't see this at first. He doesn't necessarily see God moving in his life. And we can all relate to that. When we're in the middle of suffering, we can't always see God's hand in our lives. But eventually, everything falls into place. Eventually, Joseph sees it. Over time, if you know the story, everything that Joseph does 
he does well. It turns to gold, right? It, just, it, it says, the scripture says repeatedly that everything, that Joseph did X and God was with him. And so eventually, Pharaoh sees this guy who can get it all done, puts him in charge of all of the grain in Egypt. And Joseph has a dream and says, there's going to be a famine. We got to hoard some, which they do. The point is, though, the one thing I want to make a point, I'm going to move on, is this very, very simple thing. That even though Joseph is charismatic and good-looking and smart and a good businessman and all that stuff, whenever Joseph does something well, Scripture says this, because God was with him. In other words, here's the, the key. If you're Joseph, right? Joseph's rise to power, listen, was God's doing, and Joseph knows that. Let's just stop there for one second and just think about this for a minute. Remember that dream from 27 years earlier I'd mentioned to you? The dream where the brothers bow down before him. It gets him, gets him almost killed. That dream that his brothers would bow down before him, well, you know what? It actually came true. We don't read about it in today's text, but if you go back to chapter 43, um, there's a severe famine in the land, and the brothers, the dad, Jacob, says, hey, guys, go down to Egypt and get us some food. Get us some grain. So they go, and they find the guy who's in charge of all the grain in Egypt, they don't know it's Joseph, but it is. And they walk into Joseph. They bring him a gift, right? They're emissaries. They're trying to get something, and they need to bring a gift. So they bring a gift to Joseph, and this is what happens. When Joseph came home, the brothers brought into the house the gift they had with, with them. Listen. And they bowed down to him to the ground. That's huge. And it's not huge because of them, because they don't even know who, they don't even know that's Joseph. It's huge for Joseph. What he's just seen is a massive aha moment. I mean, imagine, Joseph's known about this dream for 27 years. It's what got him thrown out of the place, in the, out of Israel in the first place, and now he sees it. For the first time, he goes, whoa. For the first time, Joseph sees a sign for the first time, here's the key. He sees the hand of God in his own life. For the first time, point one, Joseph sees the plan of God. Let me ask you, you ever been in a place in your own life when you were enslaved in Egypt? I mean, I don't mean a real slave in Egypt. Maybe you were. That would be a good story. But, um, but I mean, have you ever been enslaved in Egypt, meaning, you know, where everything has kind of gone wrong, right? Where every part of your life is falling apart. And we've all been there, right? Family or marriages or kids or jobs or money, whatever, fill in the blank. We've all been there. The point is, where have you been in your own life where you asked yourself, where is God? Because Joseph was there for 27 years. Where are you, Lord? Where are you, man? I'll give you a story. 11 years ago, I was the rector of a church in Red Bank, New Jersey. And I'd been there for six years. It was a good run. And I got to the point in my ministry there uh, where I just kind of realized I'd taken them as far as I could. And the church had grown and all kinds of stuff. It was a good place, and I was happy to be there, but I kind of came to the conclusion that my, my time was up, and I'm not really sure how I knew it, but it just did. And I waited for God to show me his plan. And I waited, and I waited, and I waited. It wasn't quite 27 years, but I waited a long time. And then one day, I was, waiting, I was in my office waiting for my staff meeting. The staff's coming in. It was a small staff. And I was flipping through a periodical called The Living Church. It's like a church rag, a magazine. 
And in that magazine was a photo of a beach, and it said, I'll read it to you, are you the rector who can show us the path? Now, I've seen, if you read any, any of these, this living church, anytime you pick it up, there's advertisements in there for church need, for callings. But for some reason, this one leapt out at me. I didn't even know where the place was. All I knew is I got to come back to this. So I closed it up, put it on my desk. I sort of forgot about it until later on in the day. I open it back up again. And I see Vera Beach. What, where in the world is Vera Beach? Um, so I'm like, I, I don't know. Let me take a swing at this and see what's going on. It's, I felt impelled. I felt drawn to it. Couldn't tell you why. Here's what happened next. I click on the website. I go, I download it. It's called a profile, which is basically like a 30-page brochure, right, of what they're looking for. And here's what it said. Ready? Quote, the individual we seek is a leader who is seeking a challenge, a spiritual CEO who can put a team in place that will lead Trinity for years to come. That hit me like a ton of bricks. That got my attention. That was my brothers fall down moment, where you go, whoa. I don't know what this means. I'm not exactly sure what's going on here, but I got to look into this. Three months later, I became the rector of this parish. But the thing, I, and again, I can give you lots of examples of places in my own life, and you've got them too, where you knew something happened, you weren't really quite sure yet what, but it was, it was an encouragement to you to stay the course, to know that God had a plan, even though you weren't really sure what that was. When has God placed something in your own path? And it could be lots of stuff. Maybe you read a book or listened to a podcast or heard a sermon or talked to one of your friends from college or graduate school or maybe it's raising kids. I don't know. It, can, it really can be anything at all. The point is, though, that you see something in that instant and you know God is behind that. And here's my point. God has a plan, you see. Joseph shows us that God has a plan. Joseph shows us that God has a plan for you and that you are a part of it. And see, when you see life through that lens, I think this is probably one of the most important things you learn growing up, period, <laughs> is when you see the world through that lens, that God has a plan and that you are a part of it, and you might not know what that plan is, and oftentimes you don't in, at the moment, but when you come to that realization that God has a plan and that you are a part of it, it changes absolutely everything about you. It changes the way that you see the world. It changes how you see other people. It changes how you see yourself. And that leads me to my second point. Joseph sees the plan of God, and then we see the joy of his forgiveness. So fast forward to today's text. This is where things get really cool. The brothers go down to Joseph again looking for more food because they're out. Right? It's, a, it's a famine, and Egypt, Egypt has food, and we don't. So Jacob sends them back down there again. They still don't know that it's Joseph who's been feeding them this stuff all along. The brothers go down to Joseph, and it says here that he, the English is funny. The translation of the Hebrew says he could no longer control himself. It sounds so dumb to me. It's more like... Um, you ever been in a place in your life where you, are, you, you held it in for a long time? Like somebody wronged you or something went south in your job or something, I don't know. This stuff that you hope doesn't come up at Thanksgiving dinner, right? You know, you got something you've held on to for a long time and then finally, bleh, it just comes out, right? That's what's going on here. Joseph has carried the betrayal of his brothers for 27 years. He's been a slave for 27 years. It's been 
chewing on him all this time, and then finally, boom, he can no longer control himself, and he says this. He says to his brothers, they're standing there asking him for more food, more grain. He says, I am Joseph. Now, what do you think you'd feel? You're one of those brothers. You tried to kill the guy. You sold him 27 years ago. You thought he was long gone, and you were glad for it. And now he says, I am Joseph. What are you going to think? I mean, certainly he's going to seek revenge. He's the second most powerful in the Egyptian government. One snap of the fingers, and they're all dead. One snap of the fingers, one nod. You know, and they get whacked like something from The Sopranos. <laughs> but the, weird, the really cool thing, and I want you to th- just think about this for a minute. It's super important. He doesn't. He doesn't order them killed. I would have. Probably. He doesn't order them all to be executed, and here's why. He, says, he tells them why. He says to his brothers, hey, do not be distressed. I'm not going to kill you, <laughs> right? And don't be angry with yourselves because you sold me here. Listen to this. For God, but God sent me before you to preserve life. Notice that. Later on in chapter 50, verse 20, Joseph, at the end of his life, is recounting all of this stuff, and he says to them this. He says to his brothers, as for you, second person plural, y'all, as for y'all, you guys, you meant evil for me, but God, but God meant it for good. Listen to that. You you did evil to me, but God. But God. Think about that. But God. What does that mean? It means that God inserts himself into the circumstances of our lives no matter what we do. We forget the but God. I know I do, and I'm a priest, and I forget. Because we think of God as the wild card, right? I hope he does this. I hope he does this. But God always does what he says and says what he does. God is the wild card not because it's God, but because we doubt, and we fear, and we second guess, and we overthink, and we underestimate him, frankly. And notice something super cool here, which this will work in your life, I promise you. Joseph forgives his brothers. He forgives his brothers, not by pretending it never happened. He calls a spade a spade. You sold me to slavery. Joseph forgives his brothers, not by sweeping under the carpet, like lots of families do, not by ignoring the elephant in the living room, like lots of people do. Joseph forgave his brothers. Listen, listen, listen. He forgives his brothers for one reason, because he sees the whole situation from God's perspective. And that changed everything. Friends, we've all been in Joseph's shoes. We've all been there. We've all been wronged. I mean, not all the time. Some people have had a worse go of it than others, for sure. But we've all been in Joseph's shoes where somebody wronged us. Every person in this room has, been, has had sin and brokenness introduced in your life, your life by someone else. Someone else has sold you into slavery, has sold you down the river. Someone else has hurt you very, very much. And here's the thing. The pain is real, period. The suffering is real, period. It leaves a mark. Even if you try to forget the past, you never really can. Joseph never forgot what happened to him, but he did forgive. And he he weeps with his brothers because he was hurting, because he's suffering, because he'd been wrong. And if you've ever been betrayed, and many people have in all different ways, through work or whatever, 
If you've ever been betrayed, man, that's, that's the, one of the worst things that can happen. Even biblically, the Proverbs are all about this. Betrayal is the pits. But God. But God had a plan. But God. And Joseph saw the big picture. He saw the hand of God even in the midst of his suffering. And that allowed and enabled him to forgive his brothers. Joseph acknowledges two things. And this is so important. For you and your families. For your own life. That the pain and suffering of this life is real. Don't sugarcoat it. But God can redeem it. Have you ever had a situation in your life where God used suffering for your own good? You can never see it when you're in it. You've always got to see it after the fact. But can you think in your own mind of a time when God used suffering in your own life for something good? Paul says in Romans 8, 28, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good to those who are called according to his purpose. That Greek word for the word all is the word panta. It means everything. Think about that. The next time you want to complain and lament and, you know, God, all things, everything works to good for those who love God and are called by him. And see, the real, real forgiveness, I'm going to teach a class on this in the fall, I'm, I'm convinced. Real forgiveness is only possible when you see God in the midst of it. We all, friends, live in dysfunctional families. We're all dysfunctional in one way or another. Let me challenge you today to see it from a different perspective, to see how God sees it. Because you know what? The people around you, your family, your friends, your wife, your husband, your kids, they're broke too. We've all got baggage. We've all got stuff. We've all got sin, whatever you want to call it. We can't always see it, but we know it's there. You know, when I was on sabbatical this past summer, um, I spent a lot of time reading and all kinds of different stuff, but I came across a quote. I think it was Michaela uh, Peterson, Jordan Peterson's daughter, but I'm not certain, but I think so. But this is what the quote was. She said, and it was so good, I, wrote, I stopped driving and pulled over and wrote it down. She said this, Never forget that everyone you meet, this is a great quote, remember it. Never forget that everyone you meet is fighting a war you cannot see. Never forget that everyone you meet is fighting a war that you cannot see. In other words, we've all got stuff. We've all got stuff. And we can respond to the present reaction in our own hurts or fears and concerns. But God can also redeem it. And you can really only forgive yourself, and you can really only forgive others, which I think is the key to human flourishing. When we see that God is present even in our struggles and suffering, it's the key it is the key to a joyful, contented life. It doesn't mean that life's always easy, because it's not. But it does mean you can be content and joyful. Forgiveness. And as we see with Joseph this morning, we acknowledge that the pain is real, but God has a plan. But God has a plan, and you and I are a part of it. And if we're faithful, and we stay focused, and we wait for the signs from him, he will show us the plan he has for our lives. So we pray. Father, we thank you for your servant Joseph, for his life, for his brokenness, for his own mistakes. We thank you, Lord, for the, the example that he shows us to be patient, to have our eyes open and be ready to see the signs when you place them in front of us. Father, help us to see the world from your perspective, to see the world from the way you have arranged it for our own calling and our own lives. Remind us that we are part of the plan 
your plan, that you have a plan, and that we are a part of it. All this we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for tuning in to our Trinity Episcopal Church podcast. To find out more about the work God is doing through Trinity, visit us online at trinitybureau.org and follow us on Facebook. Facebook.